Hey guys, welcome to episode number 188 of the Take Flight podcast. Um, before we get started in this week's topic, let's just start with a check-in. Um, if any of you um, follow us on Instagram, you might have noticed um, two members of this podcast had an interesting experience. I think it was their first experience on a PJ. Daniel and I didn't get the invitation. I don't know what happened. Maybe you guys forgot our number, or you know, no, what I, I was I was traveling. I was I was traveling Olu, so I was, <laughs> was, was PJ as well. Were you traveling PJ <laughs> private jet as well? No, but I mean, I was traveling. That's why I wasn't part of your oh. of the invitation. They knew mm-hmm. I was traveling, so yeah. So I want to get insight to like, how did you guys get on a private jet? <laughs> like, where was the invite? When are we all going on a private jet as a team? Um, together maybe we'll do an episode on a private jet together but yo i i i, I didn't expect i saw it on p's um instagram <laughs> first and i was like yeah how did you wait, feel wait. tell me uh, t- break down the reaction how you felt talk so, to me but i saw on p's one and i was like oh what's this guy just doing in terms of walking on and off a plane i know he didn't fly anywhere right i just getting on a plane yeah, taking see, a few that's, pictures see, that's the haters man you see it go on go on is that what you honestly is that what you honestly felt is that what you I thought, thought you just went, like were around there. You just got on, took a little quick because you you only took one video of it, right? You only mm-hmm. showed yourself going up, mm-hmm. and I was like, it was probably like cut, come back out. Okay, now get your car back to where you need to go, <laughs> right? Mu- but she museum. was pictures with more you're, you're museum. in terms. Huh? <laughs> Repeat that. What do you say, Daniel? Probably, He's probably thought that probably thought that you're at the museum or something, <laughs> some green screen. But then I saw Shawal's post where it showed Shawal did a whole photo shoot, right? Boarding, sitting on the private jet, flying, did the location of where he flew to as so well. So when you when you saw she was one, what did you then think of me? So then my thought process was, oh, you know what? Maybe P's used to this lifestyle and Shiwa isn't. <laughs> so you know when my man gets in that PJ, he's like, hey, let me take a picture of everything on this private jet. Because <laughs> I ain't used to this sort of environment. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my early insight. Uh, but funny, man. Then it's okay. I need to catch up with these guys, find out how they were um, got into this private jet, and how can we arrange some sort of trip together? Because I feel like I need this experience. <laughs> yeah, you so, how did this happen? Kick us off. You definitely do. Was... Sure, go ahead. Um. So, so first of all, uh, Olu, I have to say it was both our first time, first time on the jet, and I can also confirm. Well, I, they, there are rumors that Pabila has got a strong volume of of content in the locker as well, so I'm sure it'll be coming. It'll be coming later, later on. Um, I think the first of all, just a very eye opening experience. So, in terms of how it came about, um, a friend of ours who has a group that he's uh, put together. Um, around the concept of buying businesses. Um, he's created this group, I think, with a couple of years now, uh, creating this network of people in different spaces, whether it's buying businesses and real estate, many different fields. Uh, and he put together a Q2 meetup. So normally every quarter they have a meetup in person. I went to the Q1 meetup, which was in London, and then the Q2 opportunity came about. And for the Q2 opportunity, it was... Uh, framed around private jets so we take a pj to a destination in europe together and when we're there we have a mastermind discussion talk about various business and personal topics and then we obviously fly back to our respective uh, cities or countries that we've come in from Uh, and then with this opportunity you got floated a few months ago i said yes straight away and i already put pabilo's name down as well but uh 
by the time Pabila came around to confirm that he's in, all the spaces had been had been filled up. Uh, Typical P. (laughs) Typical P. Same with recording the podcast. He sent him a message. Two days later, responds. Yeah, so then Pavila comes back to me and he's like, "Bro, there's no, there's no space." And I was like, "What? Wait, there's, it won't be the same experience unless we're both, we're both on it. So let's just stay close to it." And unfortunately, or unfortunately, someone had to drop out of the group. And then Pavila, of course, was uh, was the first name on the on the list to take that take that reserve. Now, the actual experience itself, I can probably pass it over to to P to explain more about the the experience itself. I think I think we're giving way too much away to Oliver. I think I'd rather sort of. Let alone continue to guess, but um, but no, no, just to, just to um, I think add to that. I think one of the things, I mean, we, there's so much that we can say. We can banter. We can also be quite serious about this. I think um, to what Shua said, very thankful for the opportunity. I think it boils. I think what I really want to share as a message to the audience is, I think it's the importance of getting around like-minded people. Um, getting around. You know, being around you know people of of a similar mindset because once you do that, it then opens up opportunities and access into things that perhaps you didn't think was attainable until much later on in your life. And I think that's I think the other thing I also want to say I think it's very very important that we all should put a bit of money aside and earmark it as experiences, investments to invest in experiences because. When you look from the outside looking in, you always look at things and you think, oh, that's that's sort of many, many years away. You know, I'm not able to sort of touch that feeling or experience it until maybe I'm at a certain financial status. When actually, if you put together a set of guys, the strength in numbers, and you've you've you know, you've put some money aside and you've earmarked it for, for experiences, you can actually, you know, get involved and experience some of these things that think are quite out of reach um, much sooner. So I think that's something that I, in all seriousness. Um, I wanted to share and um, yeah, it was the first time flying private. It definitely won't be the last. I can definitely see my family f- flying private, but it's, it's um, for, for people like ourselves who have been sort of well-traveled over the years, it was a great experience to be able to just go through that. You know, you, you're not waiting. It's this, you know, you can arrive, you know, shortly before your, your jet needs to take off. You get through security relatively quickly. Um, you know, there's, there are no rules on 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 the jet. You know, you can sort of walk no around rules? and yeah. From the standpoint of you know, you're not having to sit in your seat and and put your seatbelt on for the entire mm. flight for takeoff. You literally can just you know move around how you how you want. Great conversations also on the jet, which is why it's so important to have like-minded people on on that um, carrier. Um, refreshments. Uh, it, it's great. It's just it's just great. I think it's well deserved. And it won't be our last. Uh, and I can definitely see ourselves as a take flight group flying. We've just got to basically put together an agenda and, and a reason to go. But I like the fact that you said you're allocating um, money and to experiences because it's clear that she was rubbing off on you. Because I remember P back in the day who was Mr. Excel budget, make sure everything ties. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm hearing your allocate to experiences i'm like who's this yeah, it took it took all oh, oh, it took 11 years but we got there we got there no really. no it didn't take that long it didn't take long but no i definitely i think i think you're right there i think absolutely right there. i think um having someone like she or or someone like she personality who's got an eye for experiences and i just to push it out there a little bit more don't save as much just put a fraction aside and, and you know so that's come, it's sort of been the story over the last sort of 10 years if i've ever traveled a bit more than i would usually it's because this guy said look you know i'm traveling eight times a year, you might want to at least travel four. This reminds so, me of uh, Miami and the rental. 
but let's not talk about that. Yeah, let's not. Right <laughs> I have to say one, one, one last comment though, just to build on on Pete. The, I think within about five minutes of us getting on that plane, and Pete and I sitting together, we were already thinking and planning. The next time we're on this, Olu and Daniel have to be there with the families, with the kids, with the everything. So it's Love already that. the seeds been planted, and we've already figured out ways on on how to book it and make it a a, a good uh trip for for all of us so i I'm, I'm placing a bit in the next 12 months take flight will be we'll be on that together with our loved ones and we'll make it a very very memorable event maybe even a podcast recording but let's see and the, the very very last message i want to send um because i think it is important to share i could make a lot of jokes and banter and flex i don't want to do that i actually want to share this this i really want to bring home this one Strength in numbers. Everything is possible when you put together a group of people who are like-minded. What may seem like it's a far away, it's, it's not attainable, actually is. You just have to get that group together. So that's really, you know, one of the big, big learnings coming out of that. And so for me, right, yeah, I've got some ideas where let's just, let's start the episode. Otherwise it'll get a bit. Oh, I thought, I thought that was the episode done. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in now, joking. But Daniel, how have you been? How was your last week? I think you were also traveling, like you mentioned. Where did you go? How was it? Yeah, doing well. Um, I was in Nigeria with the family, um, just seeing family. That was the main point of the trip was just for my son to meet his great-grandma who... My grandma turned 92 at the end of May, uh, but we couldn't travel that week. So it was um, imperative that we got him and him to see his his cousins as well. We, you know, we were there for just five days. Very short, but it was just a, a much needed trip away. Um, I probably will share more about the trip in sort of reflections at a much later date. Uh, it was quite a, a difficult trip for me for a number of reasons, but you know that might come out at, in, in the future. But yeah, but overall it was, it was good. It was nice to see the family as well. Um, and now back did the nursery run this morning so back to reality so in terms of when you landed how did your son um, cope with that humidity as soon as you hit that Nigerian hair it's completely different um you know what because it was a night flight on the way out and we yeah we arrived early in the morning I think it was five to five we landed the heat was a lot especially in the airport then the lights went out um when you were trying to get the baggage the electricity was cut off but he seemed to be very intrigued throughout the journey I just watched him and he was very much aware of his surroundings like going through traffic he's looking at everyone on the flight back he wanted to go for a walk so down the aisle he's looking at everyone left and right and just watching faces I think that he got to him in the sense of he got tired a lot quicker uh, but and I think because he's older now when we went to Dubai it was very hot of course but mm. it's a, he's at a different stage of his development so I think he felt it more he was happy to run around in his nappy um, he enjoyed himself. He he was loving life, living life as well, and had a lot of um, a lot of a lot of fizzy drinks, which we, which I said to him, you know, you're on a holiday, we'll let you. But as soon as we're back, <laughs> it's a stopping straight back to water. Back to back water. To water. <laughs> yeah. love it, love it. Um, on my side, um, one of us had to work uh, whilst you you three were out here gallivanting, <laughs> traveling all across the world. <laughs> Wait, uh, yeah. Just 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 a, just a, yeah, just a reminder for I the was, listeners: only only was, one of us has spent like three months in Bali this year, and that's not yeah, exactly. Daniel P or I. So, <laughs> so someone had to carry the podcast and re- um, release a take flight a takeaway episode whilst you guys were gallivanting and do whatever. Uh, but yeah, you know, I got to enjoy the UK sun at least, so it wasn't too bad. But I think that was a long introduction, so let's just get into the episode. So on this week's episode, we want to talk about NVIDIA, right? I think the last few months, NVIDIA has been all you've heard in terms of 
market market returns, uh, massive growth, especially around AI. So I'm going to start off just with a background on NVIDIA, and then we're going to talk about sort of their key and core strategy, um, how they've been able to manage risk. Um, do we believe that the company is overpriced? Because that's what we're hearing right now, especially when you see a massive increase in market cap over a short period of time. The next question is, should I still purchase as an investor? And then also our prediction in the next 24 months. So starting with NVIDIA. So NVIDIA is a leading player in the semiconductor industry. It was founded in 1993 uh, by three founders, um, Jensen, Curtis, and Chris. The current CEO of NVIDIA is Jensen, who is actually the longest serving CEO. So he's been a CEO since the founding date of 1993, so 30 years. Now, the three founders were former employees of um, Sun Microsystems. They all worked on graphic processors. And if you look at NVIDIA and their first product, it was the NV1, which was a graphic processor that they designed for personal computers. Now, this didn't really commercialize successfully. Um, so they sort of switched in the early 2000s to focus on GPUs, so um, graphic processing units for gaming um, specifically. The company came up with a GeForce graphic card, which was very successful and sort of pioneered them in the gaming graphic market. Now, since then, um, NVIDIA has really diversified themselves, right? So their GPUs are used in other applications such as computing, artificial intelligence, data science. Now, some other key figures and facts, right? They have 26,000 employees. In 2022, their revenue was around 26.9 billion. Um, some of the latest news or latest headlines that they've been involved in is AI. We've seen in the past few months a massive spike in terms of interest around AI. If you think about ChatGPT, companies, um, OpenAI, other companies such as Google, massive focus around AI. When you listen to NVIDIA, they class themselves as the wild engine for AI. So you can imagine a large amount of demand has been um, demanding their product, their GPUs, have been made around sort of um, sort of AI. So really, their GPUs are used for machine learning, natural language processing, computer visions, etc. The reason why we're talking about this company, right, is really the market cap in March. 2023, their market cap was around 675 billion. If I look at it today, they've now gone over that 1 trillion market cap, right? Their stock price is around 400 USD. Um, if we look at the last five years, they've gone up by around 500%. So massive amount of growth over a short period of time. So I'm going to open it up for the rest of you guys. Um, so that's really the background. But Daniel Shuo, um, why do you believe that NVIDIA has been able to grow such a large amount over the last five years, right? What is their core strategies? What's really driving this success? Well, where do I start? Um, I, th I think you alluded to it in the intro when he spoke about NVIDIA being founded in 19... For those who don't know, it was actually it was founded at, at a Denny's. Um, a Denny's is like a, a diner, a restaurant. 
And when Jensen was nine years old, that's when he moved to the US with his family, originally from Taiwan, and he started electrical engineering. For those who don't know, he was an avid gamer. So this is something that was an interest of his. And if you think about it, he was quite a nerd. He was a geek. He was doing something that he loved whilst also having an interest in it. And like you said, Olu, you know, PC, the PC boom was in full swing in the early 90s, but not everyone had a home. Not everyone had a PC at home. This was a very small group of him with his founders, co-founders that were interested in computer graphics. So they were very futuristic at the moment. I don't think they shut the door completely, but it was something that was too premature at the time. And that's when they decided to make computer graphics to better um, make games, to, sorry, to better games, the experience, to make them smoother, quicker, and make them faster. And they were, they were as a result, a powerhouse in that arena. And for those that don't know, GPUs, as Olu said, graphics processing unit, were, plug, were plugged into chips of a computer, but now they're actually embedded. So people don't actually have a separate GPU and plug it in, it's now embedded. So when you think about their start and the foundation, I think it was very much their, it was the fundamental basis for where they are now. Uh, and I'm going back to that for, to, for key reasons, because AI has accelerated that and made them more successful. But when they went in the early noughties and 2000s to making chips for Xbox and, and PlayStation, Jensen had for years been saying that he wanted to expand their horizons. And I think now is a great, great opportunity for them to do so. And when you look at their success in the last five years, crypto has quite a big part to play with that. So in the last couple of years, helped NVIDIA tremendously, um, but then as a success, um, as to make them successful, but as a crypto winter last year, hit them hard. In Q2 last year, company shares lost almost half of their value and suddenly people didn't want your chips. Also, last year, tensions between the US and China spilled over into the chip industry. The US would restrict imports to China, exports to China, sorry, of the most powerful chips like NVIDIA's. And these restrictions were an attempt to cut off supply for the best semiconductors. And NVIDIA were actually quite worried about, about this as China quarter of their sales at the time. And NVIDIA were looking at an alternative product that they could that they could license to China that wouldn't be in this sort of the best semiconductors but also this impact of them not being able to export would cost them about 400 million dollars quarterly in revenue and then in autumn last year the company were challenged due to market pressures the export restrictions the company's luck had changed the bet that um, Jensen made on AI accelerated and changed things drastically so with um, ChatGPT, with OpenAI, I think he even took the first computer and sold it to them. They bought over a few hundred thousands of, uh, of chips, which are very expensive. And I think when you look at the, the success of the last five years, they were looking, they, I think he even said that they looked internally and just changed everything around, gutted everything out and changed the, the business units divisions to make it long term to be able to survive and be with this AI acceleration and adoption. Uh, I, I don't want to go off on one, so you're not sure. Yeah, save you. save some for sure. Sure, <laughs> anything you're gonna add on that side? I mean, I don't know if there's much to uh, much left to say because I think Daniel's done it so compre comprehensively. But let me. I, I think the perspectives that I would add, maybe to simplify it, because I think for me personally, going into this episode, I actually wasn't so aware of what Nvidia was doing, apart from seeing how their stock prices rallied so significantly, especially in the in the recent months and years as it hit the one trillion market cap. I think very simply, I tried to look at the overall 
revenue. So they're around, as as you said, only 25 to 30 billion. They're kind of in that range. And the majority of their revenue is coming from this GPU component that Daniel mentioned. And GPU stands for graphic processing unit. Now, for a very simple person like me, I was trying to figure out, okay, what does GPU really mean? How can I explain this to a four-year-old? And I think a great analogy that I came across was basically, if you explain that a GPU is like the engine in a car, and the engine is responsible for making the car move. And the actual car itself is what you would call the, the CPU. Um, now, the GPU needs to be very powerful because the car itself is very heavy. Now, ultimately, the GPU is like the engine in a computer. And the more powerful the engine is, then the better the graphics, the faster the processing, and the quicker this car can move. Now, if you imagine the environment that this car is in today, stuff like AI, crypto, et cetera, some of the areas that Daniel mentioned, all of these areas are becoming even more complex and require a much stronger engine or GPU in this case to really keep everything running. And NVIDIA as a company has got some of the best GPUs or engines for the areas that Daniel has, has mentioned, such as gaming, machine learning, cryptocurrency. And these are all areas that we know that have become even more important, especially with AI now as well. So I think this is a, a fantastically well-run company, as Olu, you've said, it's got a strong history. That seems to have ticked a great product across multiple areas that are continuing to grow uh, and probably will continue to grow over the next decade. Now, what the share price and the overall market cap, is it too high or low? I guess we'll talk about this later on in the episode. But that for me is how I would summarize the, the company. The majority of their revenue at the moment is coming from this GPU. And this GPU segment is uh, a very in-demand segment across very hot industries that will only expand yeah. even more in the next uh, decade. I just, I just want to, I just want to add to that. Um, sure, incredible analogy, and I just want to just piggyback off that. And what I was, it's such a powerful business model in the sense that what you're effectively doing is creating this platform where all of the big companies need to basically rely on the product or service that you're supplying. So just like you said, cars can't run unless they have a great engine. So imagine being just thinking it out loud, and our listeners, you are the one person or one of the main suppliers of engines to all of the vehicles that run across this world. So the business model in itself is so powerful. The second thing to that, and I think it's also, this is a, a great story of making the right bets at the right time. So one of them is the gaming industry has, has of course taken off. Gaming has got to a point where now people are actually are full-time gamers. And again, what runs behind gaming is what these processing units that they actually produce. But the other thing is, would we be talking about this company if they did not make a bet on AI? And actually how much of the valuation that we see today if you were to sort of carve it out, how much of that is related to AI? So it's one, having a fantastic business model that is a platform where big companies need to rely on you, but also making the right bets at the right time. Otherwise, companies like AMD would actually be then part of today's conversation as opposed to NVIDIA. So it's, um, yeah, making bets at the right time is is also um, a large factor uh, to, to their success. And my, many would probably say, I don't know if you can call it lucky or, you know, things of that nature. I love that Ollie. because it's, it's like you said, making the right bets, but also knowing when is the right time to pivot, right? They started with sort of those chips initially for personal computing. And they said, you know what, this ain't the place. Let's move into gaming. They didn't get comfortable there. They said, let's make other bets in other applications. And that was such a great play. Why do we move into, because I think Daniel alluded to it, right? It hasn't always been so rosy for NVIDIA, right? I think... From the beginning of 2021, their stock price was around 330. 
and it dropped pretty much down by 50% up until sort of September 2022. Um, and this was based on sort of um, um, shortage of sh um, chips, like the sh um, chip shortages that they were facing. Um, this was due to um, some of the troubles within China. Why don't we talk about how they were able to manage some of this risk? And um, um, so who wants to open up? I think something what made them successful, what, what was able, what was what allowed them to weather the storm, the short storm since 2022, is with the tensions between China and the US. And I think there was even a, a microchip shortage globally, especially affected semiconductors that affected cars. Um, and actually, I, we sold our car, which was a used car, and we got a good price for it because there was a car shortage that secondhand cars were actually appreciating in value. So it made sense to sell it. Um, but that's another story for another day. But the fact that they made a chip that I think the US had certain criteria, which meant if it reached certain threshold, it couldn't be exported to China. So NVIDIA pivoted and made a chip that was still under their brand, but it was also not going to meet that threshold, which allowed them to export to China. So I think that was one thing they did, although it was costing them, it was you know anticipated to cost them 400 million loss in revenue, well, not loss in revenue, it was going to not, it was going to impact them 400 million a quarter by not being able to sell or export. I think this maybe would have closed that gap slightly. Um, so that's one thing they did. I'll, I'll pass it over to someone else to, to share more. I think another way they sort of weathered some of these challenges was being very diversified, right? Having a diverse customer base allows you to weather multiple storms. If I talk about one of the industries or businesses that I work on in, right, one of the ways we were able to navigate COVID is the fact that we play in so many different industries. So you can imagine if you start to see a decline in, let's say, for example, the aerospace place, you might see an increase in an in industrial place. So if I focus on NVIDIA, right, they deal in the gaming element of it, but they also deal. So you can imagine during lockdown COVID, those scenarios, a lot of people were at home. What were they doing at home? A lot of them were gaming. So you could have that sort of revenue when you start to maybe see a decline or reduction in data centers or data center segments. So by having such a diverse group of customers, they're able to really weather a lot of these storms. And I think, like P said, placing bets in different industries allows them to continuously grow or when they start to see a decline or pullback in one industry or space, having the growth in another industry or space. Mm -hmm. Um why don't um p you got anything to add yeah sure i just wanted to add actually around uh risk management um we're talking probably more recently uh but they're actually not not um new to facing risk and i actually pulled out a couple of examples where they're you know back in 1999 you know they've had many many cases sort of around patent infringement lawsuits and competitions trying to slow them down so it's it's they've done a good job to manage risk over a number of years, not just what we see um, as of 2020, 2021. And one of the ways actually is a lot of the competitors back then who actually you know filed for these suits, they they found a way you know as time passed on to actually acquire them. So I think it's just an interesting understanding in terms of how they've been able to sort of manage risk throughout the entirety. But one thing I probably find which is uh, and it goes it links back to sort of what you mentioned, Daniel, about the background of the, of the founder and the founders, I, I would like to think that actually when they're going through a turbulent period, like when the shop st stock price is, is, is tumbling, I don't think they're as bothered because they've got this long-term view 
picture and they understand exactly how much more room there is to grow within this particular space. So I think I think um, I think there's something to be said around how when there are challenging times within business, how much how long is your view in terms of what you're building? And I, and I believe based on, you know, he's always had this interest since the age of nine and he's gone on to build this, you know, they, they very much see a lot of room to grow in, which actually, of course, then impacts how you make decisions when challenging times come up. Sure. Daniel, anything else you want to add? Yeah, I just think uh, we at some stage about his bet on AI, but just double clicking on that, the bet that he made on AI is that he actually changed the way the chips were made. And they made sure that with artificial intelligence, and that's what has paid off. If that wasn't done years ago, I don't think this would be the Nvidia that we're talking about now. That is the company that's is that is now you know mates with the elite like Apple, Amazon in that one trillion you know um, Saudi Ramco that in that one trillion bracket of market cap. If not, you know they they could be lagging behind some of their peers or the likes of AMD. Intel could have accelerated. Um, into this, 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 into this space quicker than them, but I think you know he's he's a fund that has a long term view, and you know luckily for him, you know fortuitous, however you want to see it, it's paid off. I'm gonna skip forward to I think a question that a lot of the investors that listen to our podcast are probably asking is, is Nvidia Nvidia overpriced, right? But before we do this discussion, I just want to highlight that this podcast is for information purposes only. The matters discussed are not intended and should not be relied on for investment, accounting, legal, or tax advice. We're just four random people having a discussion. If you like anything we're talking about, please do your own independent research and speak to your independent advisor. But back to the topic of is NVIDIA overpriced, right? I think we've seen a massive spike in their price. I think I mentioned before, there were 600 million, oh, sorry, billion um, in March 2023. Now they've crossed the threshold in terms of their market cap of 1 trillion, right? We've seen their market share go up over 500% over the last five years. A lot of people are probably looking at this and saying, what is NVIDIA? I think, Shua, you mentioned it. You didn't, NVIDIA didn't come on your radar until you started to see the returns that it was generating in the stock market. Um, if I look at the PE ratio, which is a way that a lot of people um, invest, if oh, um, is a way in which a lot of people look at is a stock overpriced, right? They're currently 213 um, PE ratio. So the higher it is, the more overpriced people will assume because it's saying, am I looking at that price versus the earning, how much earning I'm getting? So I'll open it up to you, P, um, our local investor. I know when you're looking at properties, if you were to walk down a road, you saw a property one month worth 600K and you come back three months later and it's now worth 1 million, would you then purchase that or would you think it's overpriced or what's your views on NVIDIA? Yeah, great question. I think what's interesting about the valuation here is when I see the 1 trillion, it's it's basically a reflection of of investors making the bet because we are, it's largely linked to AI and how they're transforming the AI space. And it's difficult to say because I think with AI, it's, it's such a new, it's such a new um, space for, for new investors. So I think, I think where we don't have maybe so much historical data, it's difficult to say whether the 1 trillion, if they're part of the 1 trillion club is overpriced or not. But I think, I think what I would say is I think a large number of investors that are making their investments into the company are making that bet to say we expect further growth. 
So if I go based off how much growth we expect from AI, you probably can say then it's, it's probably not overvalued. So it's how much do you believe in the actual class itself? Because I think a large amount of confidence behind the investment is based on we see AI as being, you know, so disruptive that it becomes, you know, core to everything that happens around the world. The other thing I also say is only until 2015, 16, did the share price actually um, start to uh, sort of ascend. And since 1999, when they've had their IPO all up until that time, it was a very, very flat share price. So that 2015, 16, 18 that you see, you know, that, that speaks to, you know, the trend that we're seeing actually in AI. But I think it's quite early. Would I throw 100% of, of my investment fund into the company? Probably not. But I would definitely make the investment because I see it more of a speculative investment as opposed to something which um, is more maybe less volatile and, and, and sort of core in my portfolio. But definitely from a speculative standpoint, I think, I think it will be a good bet to make. Um, Shua, do you have any views, anything you want to add? Yeah, maybe to to complement uh, P's viewpoint, I think from from my end, what I was looking at was especially what we've seen in the last 24 months. And I think the things that we've talked about on this podcast, whether it's stocks, whether it's uh, cryptocurrencies, whether it's any asset, anything that has climbed as considerably in a short period of time. I can't remember any of those that we've spoken about that has sustained that growth beyond a 12 or 24 month period. So I think now, especially what we've experienced in multiple asset classes in different markets, anything that goes up so quick, I personally don't think it's so sustainable in the short to midterm. But over the long term, it's definitely something to look at. And I think one reference point that I thought was interesting is the price earnings ratio. So this is essentially the, the price of a stock over the earnings of the stock. And typically the higher the price over earnings means the market is predicting that this company is going to increase their earnings in the future to catch up to the price that it's uh, it's currently at. Now, just for reference, Google and Apple, they have a price earnings ratio of around 30. Um, so that means they the market expects them to grow in their earnings, but not a crazy rate compared to a company like NVIDIA, which is price earnings over 200. And I was just looking at some of the other competitors like AMD, which has a price earnings ratio of almost 300. Now, these are extremely high. Uh, so the market is expecting the, the the revenues to grow considerably. But I think at the moment, at the price that they're at now, it's probably overpriced in my personal view in the short term. But medium to long term, as we've discussed, as P mentioned, uh, as Daniel Nolly, you've also said, it's got so many positive tailwinds that I think it could be an attractive bet on the long term, but probably not where it's at today. Great. Would, would, uh, would you invest? Probably wouldn't invest now. I'll probably wait until they have the next period of red and then go in. Because I think similar to the, the cryptos that we've spoken about or all these other assets, anything that's been green for so quick um, typically does rebase at another level. So I probably wouldn't do it now, but I would for the long term at the next red period. It sounds like you are that you... Um that you listen to my takeaway episode. So let me just plug that in because I did do it a takeaway a, for episode. The listeners, for the listeners, I did NVIDIA. actually listen to it this morning. It was a great uh, a great takeaway episode. So it's good to, to check it out. It's literally the last episode that we released. But I think like you all mentioned, right, especially when you're picking individual stocks, I'm not really a fan of purchasing at all-time highs and with high PE ratios. I think the three points that I think they need to take into consideration is competition. I, I believe that right now everything's been priced as if 
um, NVIDIA is the number one chip holders. And we're seeing diversification in a lot of companies such as Apple and Amazon, which are creating their own versions and own GPUs, right, to diversify themselves and minimize the risk of relying only on one company, one supplier. Um, we're also not thinking about economic slowdown. I think when we look at the stock market, right, we've seen it rally and go up significantly. I don't feel like it's really priced in any potential recessions. I think a lot of times we've been talking about recessions. We're probably feeling it in companies' um, profitabilities, but we're not really seeing it in the stock market. And even though NVIDIA has got a lot of room to grow in terms of top line, I'm not sure how much of that is going to flow through in terms of profitability, cash, as in, which is the most important thing, um, which would then be able to sort of build into the valuation of the company today. And then lastly, technology disruptions, right? I think we're currently talking about GPUs and the disruption that um, NVIDIA has. And I think one of the ways it stayed ahead of the game is by investing a lot of R&D. But I wouldn't be surprised if other companies are investing a significant amount and someone doesn't come up with some sort of innovation or technology which throws out these GPUs to a point where you say, ha, ah, you know what, this is better performance, better quality of um, chips that can disrupt the space. So at the current price, I think there's just too much risk for me to want it on board. I, I don't believe is a, I, I believe we're in an environment of abundance, right? Whilst this is so risk, this is risky and so overpriced, I can either keep my money or move it to something else, right? And then wait for some form of pullback and then if the business is still investing and I still believe in the business, then I would invest there. Um, but Daniel, um, anything you want to add on this segment? Um, I don't want to digress and move ahead, but I was just going to say, because I think what a lot of my things are going to interlink between what I buy now and what the outlook is. I was going to say that this the increase in NVIDIA's gap was the largest one-day increase in price ever. And that one-day increase was actually the value of Netflix. So that gives you sort of, of how big their one-day price movement was. It's quite phenomenal. That's yeah, that's a ridiculous amount. Thanks for that stat. Um, let's just move to the final segment. Um, and this is any predictions in the last 24 months when it comes to NVIDIA. Where do you expect it to be in the next 24 months and why? And we'll just quickly go around. Why don't we start with yourself, Daniel? Um, and then we'll go around. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say some things first before I, what I think is going to happen or you know what, what the outlook may be, but just things that they may factor or things that need to be considered. NVIDIA is like a, it's been heard everywhere. You know, the last month, you know, end of June, all I heard everywhere when you're looking at finance, reading finance uses, NVIDIA, 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 are they going to, you know, reach that trillion mark? They've reached it. Okay, now what next? But one thing is that now they have demands for chips from everywhere. And right now, NVIDIA's chips are the only ones that can currently support AI. So they definitely have the first mover advantage. But there are currently startups that are building their chips that can quickly become a household name, especially in the space of AI. And with other companies accelerating their AI journey, like Microsoft, Google, this would also possibly require more advanced NVIDIA chips from themselves. But one thing is, can NVIDIA fulfill demand? They don't have their own factories. So to P's point earlier about their business model is like, great, they have this powerful chip that people need. But one drawback is they don't 
have their own factories. They don't even make their chips. They help design them, but they don't make them, which is a key, key risk. Also, they rely on other companies to build the chips and their main supplier is in Taiwan, or they're looking to, to get suppliers from other um, locations as well. Um, and that's something they're trying to do in the second half of this. And, okay, <laughs> as I don't know how you want to take it, but Elon Musk said two weeks ago that it's harder to it's 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 um it's harder to get harder chips to get than it is drugs. These are drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um so that kind of tells you what you need to know about the chips because even you're not going to get a chip, I think, until 2024 from NVIDIA. So there's a lot that's going to be at stake, which would quite possibly hamper their ability to sell, would also give those who are creating chips the ability to supply into the market for those who are seeking them. Um, but then again, at the same time. Their sales for the next quarter are projected to be 11 billion, which is up from 7 billion from the previous quarter. So, when you think about price, the trajectory in the price, it has a lot of potential to go up. But there are also competitors that could come out of nowhere to really rival them. And just to give you an example of in the AI space, um, you know, with the growing frenzy surrounding AI and in Europe's desire to create some sort of viable alternative to Silicon Valley's comp- Silicon Valley companies like Microsoft, Google, etc., there's been one company called Mistral, which, which was started four weeks ago um, <laughs> by some former Meta and Google researchers, and it's it has raised 105 million in Europe's largest ever seed round, and it's just four weeks old. So think about what that can do over time. And okay, this is AI space, specifically not chips, but I'm just going to give you kind of an understanding about how fast this space is moving and what opportunities there are for startups to come in and really disrupt the the, in, um, the players that have been here for 30 plus years. Mm. Uh, yeah, maybe go next. Um, so I think a couple of things. I think they've, they've done an exceptionally great job to stand the test of time. They've got a rich history since 1999, obviously means that they've got strong principles and philosophies around building, building the business and building the model. I think they've done, a, I think they've been, they're well prepared for what they're going through now. My prediction is that they're still going to be there in a bounce competing. Um, maybe haven't increased the valuation significantly much more, but I don't think the business will be really hampered, even with what Daniel mentioned, because I think what you've mentioned, Daniel, is a risk that you've eloquently um, um, articulate it but I th- they also know it as well and so I think there's something that they've perhaps got capital to to, to work on I don't actually see personally um, as, as quick as things can happen in the tech and AI space startups being able to really disrupt them to a point where they're going to suffer I think there's something to be said about the history that they've been in the market and doing what they've done because you still got the likes of AMD that you've got to run through, Intel that you've got to run through. So, so my my prediction is just that they're going to be, you know, thereabouts where they currently are now, still competing, still pushing, and then actually working on some of their biggest challenges like um, distribution and supply. Yeah, my prediction is I think in the short term because they have such good momentum at the moment. You hear about it everywhere. The companies that are in the news as well are very AI driven computer games etc all of that stuff I think actually in the short term there probably is some further movement in the in the stock price uh, and then I think ultimately in the long term there could be some some ups and, and downs there probably will be another red period as there always is with these stocks that hit the all-time highs um, but I think ultimately if they execute on the strategy that they have and they're able to deliver and there's not a big economic downturn there's no geopolitical wars with some of their uh, important supply countries then there's no reason that within their class of companies the company can't remain uh, number one so overall an, an exciting time and let's see and i think i i would invest for the for the long term short term 
a question mark. Yeah, I'm not going to repeat. I think all of you um, mentioned great points. I think the big thing for them is really just going to be around execution. We've seen the demand side. Um, it's just a question of will they be able to um, execute based on the demand. And like your favorite friend, Elon, will they make the getting chips a lot quicker than currently, right? And less difficult than other things. Um, so thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I think we've given some great points around NVIDIA, um, around sort of the background, um, the risks that they face, and then also talking about are they overpriced for some of the investors. More important than just our views on NVIDIA, I think it's more important our thought process on what sort of metrics we look at, what key factors we focus on when looking to invest, especially a lot of people have this FOMO um, mentality. You see something go up significantly and you just want to invest. I think it's better for you to sort of do some detailed research, understand how they got to where they are, understand if there's other companies that you can identify that play in this particular space or other spaces that can see a massive growth based on the same philosophy of investing early, um, making bets in different areas um, and focusing on new industries or new technologies such as AI. So again, I hope you found this episode really useful. I'll pass it over to Daniel to take us home. So if you have any feedback for us, you can find us on Instagram at TakeFlyPodcast. If you aren't subscribed to us, please subscribe to us on any platform that you listen to your podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. We're also on YouTube and on, also on TikTok under the same hand, Fly Podcast. Until next week, stay safe and God bless. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah. Fool, we never fly, but we're